Hi, my name is John, and this is Social Distancing. Episode 21, City and County. This is my friend John. John is a high school science teacher in the St. Louis suburbs near where he grew up. But John is not your typical St. Louisan. My parents are Sri Lankan Tamil, which is uh, Tamil people are typically associated with um, either the southern part of India or the northern part of Sri Lanka. And the northern part of Sri Lanka is where my parents are from. So are you first generation American? So my, well, I guess it, it's a complicated story, but I was actually, I was born in Canada. My parents and my sister, my older sister, actually, they were all born in Sri Lanka and they immigrated to Canada while my mom was still pregnant with me. They had me there. I, we, we lived there for a short period of time, like maybe four or five years or something like that. So I don't remember it at all. But shortly after that, they then immigrated to St. Louis. And what brought them to St. Louis? Uh, just my my dad after like passing his board. So he was studying for the boards exams uh, in Canada. And so, so he could practice over here in North America. So after he passed them, then he got a job offer. St. Louis is a weird city. In 1876, the city of St. Louis voted to secede from St. Louis County claiming they wanted to be rid of county taxes and state influence over county government. At the time, the city had 350,000 residents, while the rural county had just 30,000. The city and the county were officially separated in March of 1877. By 1970, the county had officially passed the city's population count. Today, St. Louis County's population is about 994,000 while the city is only about 300,000. That separation of city and county is not just a governmental separation. There's a pretty big cultural separation as well. Within the city limits are some of St. Louis's biggest cultural landmarks. The Gateway Arch, the baseball stadium, city museum, and in Forest Park, you have the zoo, the history museum, the art museum, the Muni, all of these things free or inexpensive to visitors. But despite all these cultural highlights within city limits, there's a general apprehension to spending time within that boundary. At a certain point, people were like, as happens with suburbanization, like, well, we just want more space and maybe a little bit, a little bit less urban kind of an, of an environment. And so that's where the county comes into play. And then you've got you've got the county kind of separate into three areas where you've got North County, West County, and South County. Speaking from my perspective, I grew up in West County, being arguably probably the most the most suburban of and the most like middle class, upper middle class. Uh, part of the region, there was not a lot of appreciation or understanding of what city culture was like. The only time me and my friends would go into the city was pretty much for concerts. And even then people would always would always talk about like, oh, it's probably like kind of dangerous or kind of sketchy or that kind of thing. I think also part of that was influenced by my dad was a doctor and he worked specifically in the north part of the city. And the north part of the city is probably the part of the city which people 
I'm assume is probably the most dangerous or the most socioeconomically strained. And he worked in a, a federally qualified health clinic. So he was mostly working with people who had no health insurance or that sort of thing. And I think the the understanding that was kind of conveyed to me was, yeah, my, my dad was potentially like working in a, a very dangerous area for the sake of his job. And I think I took that and kind of interpreted it as like, oh, well, the rest of the city is kind of like that then. So much of what we, like our lives was made up of was going over to a friend's house, like hanging out, like playing video games or that kind of thing. It never really necessitated going to these like big events in the city or like different parks or restaurants or that kind of thing. Unless of course we were going to a concert. So yeah, so I was super, super sheltered in that sense. And I didn't really understand anything about the city county split and structure until I returned to St. Louis as an adult and more of my friends had spent time in the city living in different areas and understanding it. There's so much that we take for granted in terms of not, not just like, public amenities, but things that are free for the most part or are cheap at the very least that so many residents of St. Louis County take for granted. If you're not familiar with St. Louis, it's important to know that the city is divided up into neighborhoods, 79 neighborhoods to be exact. But each neighborhood has its own little vibe, its own little microculture. There's a big difference between, say, the hill, which is a heavily Italian-influenced neighborhood, with lots of great pasta and bakeries, and Bevo Mill, which has a lot of Bosnian and Croatian influence. On a map, these neighborhoods are separated by less than three miles. John speaks to this as well. And I remember my second year teaching, I had a, I had a student who told me that he was buying a watch or selling a watch to a guy that he met online, and he wanted him to meet him in a certain part. And the student said to me, Hey, Mr. G, like I have to meet this guy in this part of the city, but the city's like dangerous, right? And he was asking me, not just because I was an adult, but at the time I was living in uh, in the Shaw area in the city. And I was like, well, John, like you got to realize like the city is actually a really wide, uh, a wide sense of land and there's so many different parts. So it really, I guess, kind of depends on where you're going. Like, where, where's this guy asking to meet you? And he, he looked at his phone and he was like, somewhere off like Southampton. And I was like, I, I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, so you're going to the zoo to buy a watch, John? Like, <laughs> like. As John noted earlier, North County has predominantly become the home for black neighborhoods in St. Louis. This includes Ferguson, where Michael Brown was shot and killed by a white police officer in August of 2014. What was your experience like as a non-white person who grew up in a, I would presume, predominantly white part of St. Louis, moving back to St. Louis and uh, seeing what had happened to Michael Brown happen. What was your like internal monologue? What was your uh, like subconscious thinking happening around that. I think for myself, it was a wake up call that not only through like the conversations that I had been maybe casually having with my friends about just learning and re-educating myself in terms of the composition of structure of St. Louis and that kind of thing. I think for me, it was a wake up call that I had to be more intentional about understanding why, why had this happened? Why was it like this way? Why, 
why was it that there were the, that there was a busing system in St. Louis? Why was it that there were predominantly poor areas that were majority Black American families that they they had to rely to, on busing to get to schools in the county? And what was interesting was I think growing up, if you would have asked me at the time, I probably would have said ignorantly I I knew just as many Black American families living in areas, whether it was in the city or North County or that kind of thing, as well as Black American families who were living in West County and had like middle-class lives and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, for me, it was a wake-up call that I, there was so much that I was ignorant of. And so, and I think at the time I would, I was also involved with the Gay Straight Alliance at the school that I was working at. And I was a co-sponsor of that, of that group. And I kind of just, I kind of just like got into that just because like, oh, they needed a sponsor. And I was like, oh, sure. I mean, I'll, is as much as I can just provide a place of safety and a room, then yeah, that's, that's totally okay with me. But then seeing also the work of a lot of those students who were not just focused on equality from the gender expression or the uh, sexual orientation side, but they were deeply involved and invested in the work of racial equality as well. That was a wake-up call for me in the sense of, wow, these 15 to 16-year-olds to 17-year-olds are more involved and invested than I ever was, and they know more. And that just that didn't personally feel right by me. So yeah, I just, I remember distinctively trying to find resources. And I remember one of the things that I found was there was a This American Life episode, which talked briefly about Michael Brown, but really it, it focused on the district that he came from in the Normandy district and addressed like the issue behind how school districts are arranged in St. Louis. I'm going to jump in here for just a second to tell you that the This American Life episode John is talking about here is called The Problem We All Live With. It's an amazing episode produced by Nicole Hannah-Jones, who also created the seminal 1619 podcast series for the New York Times. I'll put a link to the This American Life story in the show notes. Back to John. Again, he's talking about the inequities of school districts here in St. Louis. That was also the most interesting to me or the thing that I was most curious about being the benefactor of a good school district while also recognizing that I had so many students who were either getting bussed in from areas where the schools were not as great and that there were still students in those areas that had to go to those schools as well. And that was an invaluable resource. And I, I one. It, it just talked about sort of what had happened with the Normandy School District. And it's a great episode and it's a powerful episode to listen to. But it essentially talked about sort of how it lost its accreditation and an old state law forced the district to provide the opportunity for students to go to a different district if they chose. And uh, Normandy chose uh, Francis Howell. There's a very powerful component of that of that audio piece that has a town hall where the district the district holds a town hall saying hey this is this has been forced upon us not and not to say that school board leadership was against it but just like f- for providing awareness for their for their school district saying this is the case this is what's happening we want to be upfront with you and give you an opportunity to voice your thoughts on that kind of thing and just hearing the level of vitriol that was being said by some of the attendants 
And some of it was like super impassioned and some of it was thinly veiled or heavily veiled, but it was, it was super frustrating to realize that just because this had happened, a lot of people were having the assumption that these students were going to come in and they were going to make their schools and their district worse because of it. After the killing of Michael Brown, John says his school district didn't really have the option to stay quiet about what had happened. One of my students, who was a member of the Gay Straight Alliance, organized an in-school walkout or an in-school march to district offices to talk talk to the superintendent. And our school had the advantage of being like five minutes away from district offices or whatever, which is why the kids could do that. And so after that happened, school leadership, like individual leadership, like principals and stuff like that, had various sessions with teachers to be like, we recognize talks are going to happen amongst your students and those talks need to happen. And we just want to provide, figure out what's the best way to help you guys have those talks. And so listening to some of what my other teachers had done and just being in that environment where my district and my school was being very open and very supportive of trying to have those talks was also, I have to acknowledge, like really good for my own personal education. So when I found this audio piece, I remember I my second year teaching my academic lab, which is for all intents and purposes like a study hall. So it's a, it's a group of kids who I see I will see all throughout their high school academic career until they graduate. They've got an hour and a half where they either sit in my class and do work or choose not to do work, or they can go travel to other teachers to try to get help on other things. So this group of kids, uh, within a year, I'd kind of, I hadn't had any of them in class, actually. In fact, that year I would have, but I had, I felt like I had built up enough of a rapport with them over the previous year that I, I could do this. So immediately the first day of school or the first day when they had me, I didn't even really start with icebreakers or like, how was your summer or that kind of thing or any kind of community building piece. I gave them a piece of paper and I had a bunch of questions and I said, sit down, we're going to listen to this audio story. And then you're going to answer the questions as, as you're listening to it. And it was, I, and I had them turn it in and I, I've got a, I had a variety of responses, all of them respectful, some of them, yeah, brief and short and not necessarily, maybe they didn't seem super authentic, but they, there were a couple ones in particular that still stand out to me. Um, One of them was a student who I had known was super smart and extremely intelligent and very bright and just like one of those students who was gifted academically athletically and just they they had a sense of presence and maturity that they were going to be successful from here on out like no matter what and i remember reading one of her answers to my questions i don't even remember the questions anymore but one of the reflection questions her answers was why is it that these kids don't have the opportunity to learn at the school where they are, shouldn't all schools be equal? I, I don't get why our city has some schools that are better than others. I was so taken aback by that because it was a genuine curiosity and a genuine ignorance um, that was being acknowledged by one of the top students in their class at the time. And so that was very curious to me, along with a, another response. And this was, this was a student who, that was her second year potentially, I think in the district, she was a black American student who though lived in the county. So she lived within the district boundaries. And I remember specifically watching her occasionally because I, I was convinced and convicted that it would be a very powerful experience for my other students. 
But her being one of the few Black students in my academic lab, I wanted to be cognizant and aware of like her emotional levels throughout it. And I just remember her kind of, while they were listening, kind of shifting back and forth in her seat and putting her hand on her head or something like that. And, and she was, she was, I could tell that there were times when she was extremely frustrated. And one of her, one of her responses to the question was, I know people are probably shocked that there are people still like this in a different district who think this way and say these type of things. But I, that they were they would be just as shocked to realize that there are similar people within our own building or school. If there was ever any kind of really big prominent personal moment, I think that was one which which kind of maybe really convicted me to say that these are these are aspects that I have to constantly be thinking about as a teacher now, not just how that affects my individual pedagogy or how do I, how that affects my teaching on a day to day, but just, I need to be thinking about the structure of how we fund education in St. Louis and how that either upholds these kind of structures of inequality or dismantles them. What are you doing through COVID-19 quarantine to find joy and to find peace? Binging a lot of Lost. I, I, didn't, I don't have Hulu or I don't have Amazon. I used to have Amazon Prime, but I got rid of it. I, so I only have Netflix as a subscription service. And so when I found out that IMDb has its own streaming service and it's all free. And yeah, it, there's the selection. I'm not sure what I could say about the selection, but... When I saw that Lost was on there, I was like, finally, a chance to like revisit Lost. Lost was interesting because it was finishing up around the time when I was in college. And at the time, the faith group that I was involved with uh, in college, one of the campus ministers who ended up becoming like a huge mentor to me, he was deeply into Lost. And every Thursday, all of the campus ministers and staff would get together and watch Lost and then talk about it afterwards. And I think at the time, the way I was perceiving it was almost as if it was a show with overtly Christian themes and maybe a specific pro Christian message. And I think revisiting it now, I don't think it I don't think it's necessarily it does, I don't think it's specific, but I think there's all I think it's definitely probably a show that explores the religious experience so incredibly in terms of how we interact with our surroundings, how we interact with our story, how that feeds back into our perception of ourselves, and then what that looks from a faith standpoint and how that shapes our our faith. So many times are there characters on that show that have direct conflicts over what it means to have faith or what it means to act based off of that faith. And it's just an interesting dynamic because it's it's wanting you to think about then, I think, those those ideas in your own life. If, if anything, I think the show is just a microcosm or a metaphor or an allegory, however you'd like it, for just life in general and our interaction with that and how it shapes our faith. John, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, man. No problem, Matthew. Th- again, thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll talk soon. Sweet. See you, man. Thanks for listening. We'll have a new episode up on Wednesday. Wednesday.